strikes me as Craig was reading that passage. In many ways, Paul is saying, don't be the frozen chosen, which maybe rings a little bit too close to home this morning. I see some of you shivering and wearing your your jackets. It looks like the Bernie Sanders meme a little bit in here, but... Uh, Thank you guys for being here. Um, Next week, we are going to kick off a new teaching series called Letter to a New Church, and we're going to be looking at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians and um, what his words to this new church in Thessalonica might have to say to us um, who are part of this this new church in and for Lake Highlands today. Uh, So look forward to that next Sunday. Uh, But today, I want to give us something of a New Year's charge exhortation from this passage in Philippians chapter 2, and I want uh, all of us to imagine uh, that we're standing at the base of an escalator. We're standing at the base of an escalator. We want to go up to the next level, but the upward escalator is broken. It's being under maintenance, under repair. It's roped off. You can't go up it, and the only escalator is the down escalator. So the only way that we're going to be able to go up is if we go up the down escalator. I don't know if any of you have ever tried doing that before. Um, I see a few heads nodding, but if you do that, you know what it takes, right? It takes a lot of effort. It it takes a lot of exertion because you're going to have to move faster going up that escalator than it is moving down. And if at any point along the way you get tired and you decide you're just going to take a little break, you're going to stop, you don't want to put in that exertion, you're not going to stay where you are, are you? You're going to regress. You're going to lose ground down the escalator. And what I want to tell us this morning, friends, is in many ways, life is like a down escalator. And that's what the scriptures teach us in Genesis 3, Romans 8, Psalm 90, that this world, this broken, fallen world, it's subject to decay. That things break down. As the African writer Chinua Keb once put it, things fall apart. Um, I was thinking back to about a year ago, um, one of my New Year's resolutions was I wanted to get more flexible. And so I started stretching, and I did that for about two weeks, and I noticed that I was making progress. I could finally touch my toes. I was getting more flexible, but then I stopped, and I didn't continue with that. And now, it's not just that I've lost that progress. I'm actually less flexible today than I was a year ago. As my body gets older, as our bodies age, they begin to break down. The same is true for other physical things. I was talking to um, Adam Vonderhaar about this the other day. If we don't uh, maintain our cars, um, what happens is they have issues. If we don't take care of our homes, if we don't keep the heater uh, working in a building, whatever uh, the issue might be, they need maintenance or or things fall apart. They break down. The same is true with skills, uh, languages. Maybe some of you um, can speak another language besides English, but if you don't practice that, If you don't keep it up, you're going to lose it. I used to play a lot of tennis, uh, but now when I go play tennis, sometimes I don't enjoy it because I feel like I've gotten worse uh, than the last time that I played because I'm not uh, maintaining that skill. In many ways, life is like a downward escalator. You know, how's that for an optimistic encouragement to the start of 2022? Anybody feel like it just took the wind right out of the sails of your New Year's resolution? But if that's true for physical life, can I tell you that that's even more so true for our souls? Even more so true for our spiritual life with God, your soul, your character, that most essential part of who we are? You know, who are you when nobody is looking? Who are you when you're not on? 
And you're not trying to perform. You're not trying to impress somebody else. How honest are you really? How joyful are you really? How humble are you really? How confident are you really? How loving and compassionate are you really? And the reality when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our spiritual life, is that unless we are putting in effort, unless we are working, unless we are striving uh, to become more of that person that we long to be, that God has created us to be, if we simply sit back and do nothing, it's not just that we don't make progress, but we regress. We actually lose ground. Um, That's why maybe for some of us here in this room today, if you've lived a little bit longer, maybe over time you become kind of cynical when it comes to our ability to really change. Maybe you look at certain bad habits or flaws in your life and you wonder, can I really change? Or or are those things so set, so entrenched in me? You wonder if you can really change. Maybe you wonder if other people can really change. Maybe people in your family, um, friends that you might have, can a selfish person really become more selfless? Can a hardened person really become more tender? Can a self-pitying person become more self-giving and generous? Can an anxious person become more trusting and peaceful? Can a controlling person become somebody who's able to empower and liberate other people? Can we really change? And, 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 you know, there are a lot of books. If you go into a bookstore, I don't know if anybody goes into bookstores uh, these days. We probably just buy it and and get it on Kindle. But if you go into a bookstore, you're going to see rows and rows of books that speak to this very question. Self-help books, books that that tap into that longing and desire. All of us know, I'm not the person I want to be. I'm not the person that I could be. We want to change. But there's also part of us that wonders, is it really possible? Can we really change for the better? And you know, in many ways, the Bible is all about change. It's all about redemption. It's all about transformation. I mean, so many stories of people whose lives are changed by God's grace. I mean, look at Paul who wrote this letter to the Philippians. I mean, a full 180. He goes from being the self-righteous Pharisee who's persecuting followers of Jesus to becoming a humble, devoted, self-giving follower of Jesus. Transformation and change. In many ways, the message of the Bible is that change is absolutely possible. But it also takes work. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And that's the tension that you see in this passage that Craig read for us in Philippians 2. Paul says, work out your salvation, but it's God who wills and works within you for his good pleasure. It takes effort, but it's also possible. And so I want to ask three questions together this morning as we look at this passage. First, why must we change? Why must we change? Secondly, how can we change? And then thirdly, why can we change? So let's look at these three together. First, so why must we change? And it's not hard, if you paid attention to the passage that Craig read, it's not hard to see that Paul expects that if you're a follower of Jesus... If you've said, I belong to Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, I trust him as my Savior, he's my Lord, it's not hard to see. Paul expects that your life will change, that there will be transformation, that you're going to become a better version of yourself. You're going to become more like Jesus over time. He says things like, do everything without arguing or complaining. Now, that is a transformed life, if you ask me. 
Because there's nothing that's more sort of the default downward trajectory of the escalator that when things don't go our way, when they don't go the way that we want, what do we do? We complain. We argue. I saw this very much in my heart uh, this last week. Believe me, I've got a lot of uh, room to, to go on this change and transformation process. Brandy and I were coming back uh, from visiting her family in Austin, and you know, it had been about a five-hour drive. We just got home, and I couldn't find my wallet. I was looking around, where's my wallet? I thought I'd put it in the door of the car. It wasn't there. I started retracing my steps and realized that about an hour before that, we'd stopped in Italy, Texas at a gas station, and I started to think maybe my wallet fell out the door there. And and let me tell you, in that moment, I was not quoting Philippians (laughs) 2.14. Do everything without arguing or complaining. No, I was was having a fit. I couldn't find my wallet. And Brandy was like, well, maybe we should call. Let's just figure out what gas station that was. She found it. She called. Sure enough, some good Samaritan found my wallet. They actually brought it in, and they had it there for me. And yet even then, the thought of, I've got to drive an hour there, I've got to drive an hour back, I was complaining, I was arguing, and part of why I was upset is because I was trying to get back in time um, so that I could come up here and help John to take down the Christmas decorations. I wasn't going to be able to help him do that. I felt bad about that. Uh, but here's the thing, here's God's amazing good providence, is, is it actually turned out um, that because I wasn't up here on Wednesday, Um, I wasn't around John. I haven't seen John since Christmas Eve. And and it turned out John called me Wednesday night. He said, I'm so sorry, but but Claire and I have both tested positive with COVID. And, you know, John was supposed to preach today. And some of you are thinking this is starting to make a lot more sense of of, of why we're not loving this sermon. Maybe you didn't spend enough time preparing. But um, (laughs) John calls and says, we're not going to be able to be there. And by virtue of me having to drive and go get my wallet, I wasn't around him. I wasn't exposed. So I'm able to be here today so we can see um, I could see God's goodness to me. I could see his goodness uh, to our church. I'm um, making sure that there would be somebody to, to preach to the faithful few who came this morning. So um, I, I, that, that, with retrospect, I can see that. Um, but I wish I was somebody who in the moment, maybe you do too, I wish I was somebody in the moment. It would take a radical trust and humility, wouldn't it? When something happens that you don't like, something that doesn't go according to your plan, instead of complaining or arguing, to say, God, you're sovereign, you're good, you have my best interests in mind, I can trust you. What are you trying to teach me here? What do you want me to repent of? How do you want me to grow in and through this situation? That's a transformed life, is it not? And Paul goes on to say, he says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God meaning that you would reflect the likeness of your heavenly father. Blameless and pure, that means consistent, a person of integrity, somebody who's the same person regardless of who we are with, somebody whose outward actions and inward motivations are in sync. Wouldn't that be a transformed person? Blameless and pure, children of God. And he says, here's why that's so important. He says, so that you might shine like stars among a twisted and crooked generation. What does twisted and crooked mean? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We said there's a curvature to the human soul because of sin. That that all of us, what our sin does is it turns us in on ourselves. It makes us look at life simply from the perspective of what's in this for me. What am I going to get out of this? My own comfort, my own pleasure. I want to rule over myself. And then when things don't go the way that they want, I grumble and I complain. And you see, what Paul is saying then is he's saying, look, as Christians, we're supposed to look different. 
The, the surrounding world is supposed to be able to look at our lives, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. They're supposed to be able to look at the, our lives, and what are they going to see? If they look at our lives and, and, and they don't see that Jesus is really making a difference, that we're growing, that we're changing, that we are becoming more humble and self-giving and, and loving sorts of people, if they don't see that, what are they going to conclude? They're not going to see us as lights that are shining. Instead, if they see that we're just as selfish, that we're just as prone to get angry and upset when things don't go our way, what they're going to conclude is that Christianity doesn't make a difference. They're going to conclude that we're hypocrites. They're going to conclude that the church is a joke and that Jesus is a fraud. That's why it matters that we be growing, that we be transformed, not just for our own sake, not just for the sake of our own soul and our relationship with God, but for the sake of our witness. Paul says we must be changed. We need to be growing. And if we're not growing, we're regressing. If we're not intentional about growing to become more the people that God longs for us to be. So first we must change, but that secondly raises the question then, well, how does that happen? How can we change? How can we become more the people that God wants us to be? And notice, notice, don't miss this this morning. Paul does say it takes work. He says, work out your salvation. Now, let's be really clear here. Paul does not say work for your salvation. And this is the difference theologically between our justification and our sanctification. You know, justification means how do I know that I'm right with God? That he loves me, that he accepts me, that he forgives me, that I have a right relationship with him. That's our justification. And justification is not something you work for. It's not something you can earn or achieve. You come to Jesus saying, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I claim. We do nothing to work for our salvation. Jesus did all of the work for it. Our job is simply to trust in him and to receive that as the free gift that it is. So we don't do anything to earn our justification, but our sanctification is a different story. Sanctification is the question of how do I actually become more like Jesus? How do I become more holy? How do I become the person God wants me to be? And sanctification takes work. It takes effort. It takes intentionality uh, on our part if we want to grow. We've got to work out our salvation. I don't know if any of you are bakers. You like to make cookies. You take chocolate chips, and what do you do? You put them into the dough, and then what do you got to do? You got to work them out into the dough. And some of you might say, no, you just get one of those stand mixers. Why do you have to actually stir? But there's no stand mixer for the Christian life. There's no substitute for the work and effort. What we do is we take the good news of Jesus. We take the fact that we're loved and accepted by God based on his grace. But then we've got to work that out into every part of our lives, the way we think, our relationships, um, how we look at the world, our identity. And Paul says that takes work. That takes effort. Now, how do we do that? How do we work the gospel into every part of our lives? Well, there are different disciplines, different practices that help us do that. You're doing one of them this morning by gathering together for corporate worship. Uh, certainly when we gather in community groups and we talk about God's word and we, we share our lives with other believers. But I'll tell you, one of the most important practices um, for growing as a follower of Jesus is reading his word is regularly being in and abiding in and learning from the Word of God. 
Um, Jesus himself uh, says as much. He says that in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, if you remain in my word, you will bear much fruit. I, I remember um, a few years ago, I, I preached on this passage in Philippians, and there was a lady who came up to me afterwards, and she said um, that it really hit her between the eyes uh, that she had somebody in her life that she had not forgiven, uh, somebody that she needed to be reconciled to. And, and I, I, I thought to myself, I don't think I preached about that at all. There was nothing uh, in this passage about that. But what struck her was simply that phrase, work out your salvation. And it was that recognition of, wait a minute, I can't just sit back and expect this relationship to be reconciled. It's going to take effort. It's going to take intentionality if I want to be obedient to God in this area of my life. But you see, what happened is, is the word of God convicted her in that way. And, and, and friends, I think the same is often true for us as we read God's word. Uh, often what happens is we find that we're convicted or maybe we're encouraged or perhaps we're comforted or maybe we're challenged with a new kind of perspective. Um, that's often what happens as we engage with God's word in our lives. But in order for that to be happening, we have to do what? We have to actually read it. We actually have to spend time uh, taking in God's word and allowing it to work on our hearts in that way. And, 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 you know, one way that we could do that this year, maybe you got that email that John sent out uh, on Friday. Um, if you want to read through the Bible with us, uh, we've got a one-year uh, Bible plan that John sent and um, you know, it might be kind of neat if, if a lot of us are going through that together. We can kind of encourage each other um, to be regularly reading God's word. And if you miss a day, that's okay. You just jump back in um, wherever you, you left off or, or, or join in on the day that you're um, jumping back in. But the, the goal is to regularly be taking in God's word, re abiding in his word in a way that begins to, to change us um, and to transform us from uh, the inside out. And I'll be honest with you, that's been harder for me this last year. Uh, ever since our son Patton was born, figuring out kind of the, the morning routine and schedule to carve aside um, space to, to meet with God, I, I feel like I've only been kind of figuring that out in the last couple of months of how to get up earlier uh, to be able to do that. But that's so vital. That's so important. I want to encourage all of us in that this year, whatever that looks like for you to take up that practice of regularly reading God's word, that's one of the most important ways um, that we're able to work out our salvation and to begin to grow as we engage in God's word um, and with him through that. Um, so there's something of, of how we change. Uh, but then lastly, why can we change? You know, I, I would hate for you to walk away this morning and to take the, the impression from this sermon that really change depends completely on us. That it's up to us and our own willpower and our own discipline and our own effort. Why do we really have hope that we can change? Why do we really believe that we can change? Because frankly, if we're left to our own effort, I don't know about you, uh, but for me, I don't think there's a lot of hope in that. Um, I got a call on, on New Year's Eve night um, from one of the students uh, that I used to know in the, in the youth ministry at, at Highland Park Prez. It was like 11 o'clock at night. We were going to sleep. We don't even stay up till the, till the New York uh, ball drops. We, we were going to bed before that. But um, he called and um, I texted and said, Is, can I call you in the morning? He said, no, it's, it's pretty urgent. So um, I, I got on the phone and I talked to him. And, and here's what he told me. Um, he said, you know, I, I just, 
I just feel really empty. He said, I don't feel like I have any purpose for my life. Um, he said, I've tried alcohol, I've tried drugs, um, all the other things that, that used to bring me so much joy, they, they don't, and, and I just, I don't like who I've become, but I don't know what to do. I, I don't really know how to change. And, and, and for some of us, you know, that, that, that is the question. How, how do we change? How does he change? How do we change? And, and, and I think really the hope and the encouragement for us in this passage is, yeah, it takes intentionality. Yeah, it takes effort and work. But the great hope in this passage, Paul says, is even as we work out our salvation, don't miss this. He says, God, God who is in you, wills and works for his good pleasure. For it is God who is at work in you. Now, don't overlook this. What he's saying is that if you're a Christian, if you put your trust in Jesus, the moment you do that, it's not just that you come to Jesus, but Jesus comes to you. Now the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence within you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the very lifeblood of God at work within your life. And that is power. That is potential for change. And maybe there are a couple of us in this room this morning, and you've never experienced before what it is to, to believe that, that God himself is dwelling within you, that you have that power for change. And, and, and maybe like this young man that I talked to, um, you, you've never experienced that because you've never actually surrendered. You, you've never invited Jesus into your life. You've never given him that kind of control so that you do have real power for change. But I would suspect others of us in this room today, you know, you, you are a Christian. You followed Jesus for years. You know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, but maybe we start to take that for granted. Maybe we kind of forget what an amazing thing that is. Maybe over time we kind of lower our expectations or we become a little bit cynical and we start to think, you know what, this is just who I am. These, these, these struggles that I've had, they're never going to go away. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to encourage you to think, look, if, if, if God the Holy Spirit dwells within you, what, what incredible power there is for change. Is there really a stain in your life so deep that the life of God is unable to draw it out? We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And so, yeah, we work. We make effort. To grow, but we do so in the dependent confidence that it is God who works within us. And in many ways, these two things, they go in tandem, kind of like pedals on a bicycle. You know, God convicts us, so what do we do? We repent. And God teaches us something, so we seek to learn it and apply it. Maybe God gives us a new perspective. We try to, to take that to heart. God, um, you know, does, does something to um, open our eyes in a new way. We seek to respond to it. He gives us a good desire. We seek to act upon it. And it's like these two things, they go together. And as they do, we make progress. We move forward. We seek to work out our salvation, but we do so in this, this dependent confidence that it is God who wills and works within us. And it is his pleasure to do so, Paul says. God loves to forgive. He loves to renew. He loves to change. He doesn't just sit back and say good luck. He loves to help us as we are willing to seek to work to grow in our godliness. But let me end with this story because I, I found this really encouraging. Joseph Sikora told me this. Um, he heard this in a Tim Keller sermon on the fruits of the Spirit. Tim Keller talks about a guy named G. Campbell Morgan. 
uh, who apparently traveled to Italy. And while he was in Italy, he saw this, this 600-year-old tombstone. It was this marble slab covering a grave. And yet what he noticed is apparently there was this little acorn that got into the grave. And, and over time, this acorn, it grew. And, and it expanded to where actually it had enough power to, 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 to crack the marble slab. And in some way to, to roll it aside. And, and G. Campbell Morgan had this epiphany when he saw that because he thought to himself, hang on a sec, if that's the power and the potential that God puts into an acorn, I mean, how much more power and potential is there for those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God? If God himself lives within you, no matter what problems we may face, no matter what struggles or character flaws we may have, if we're willing to water that acorn, is there any tombstone, is there any slab that God cannot crack and roll off of our lives? And so don't be discouraged. Don't give up. I'm wanting to grow and wanting to change. I'm wanting to become more like Jesus. Come to Jesus again this morning, even as we come to this table. Say, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I depend upon your power. Would you change me from the inside out, even as I seek to make every effort that I can to grow to become more like you? Um, so let's come to the Lord's table together this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can change. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not wait for us to change. Uh, to give us your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we thank you that you have come and you've done everything necessary for our justification. We do rest in that grace that you have for us this morning. And yet, God, we want to become more like Jesus. We want to change. We want to make progress in this downward escalator world. And so we pray um, that even this morning you would renew our desire, you would renew our resolve to want to become more the men and the women that you've made us to be. Help us to be a people who seek to work out our salvation and yet who do so in the dependent confidence that it is you, God, who will and work within us for your good pleasure. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, on the night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples and at